Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Well, I promised everyone an excessive juice podcast today, and I know, Andy, you're kind of playing hurt, so I might have to pick up some slides. Yeah, you're excessive juice, and I'm over here like, not so loud. Be quiet. I'm trying to eat my chicken soup in peace. <laughs> What happened? Your daughter's sick, so you're getting sick again. She's a little under the weather, and she just coughs in my face and sneezes in my face all the time. So then I get sick and then sat outside in really cold weather last night for the spring. It was, like, nice during the day, and then the open portion of practice was, like, really cold out there. So that probably didn't help my cause, so... I'm going to try to slam some NyQuil this week and hopefully feel better by the spring game. Well, I was going to say, if you were at the open practice as a as a fan, we may have some things that duplicate what you already saw. But having seen the pictures from down there, I don't think anybody was there. So this is all new to everybody. No. A, a couple years ago they did this, and it was Fuente's first spring, and it was really exciting. The weather was nice, and I believe they were giving out free pizza. And right. this time it was cold. It's year three. There's not really excitement. There was no pizza, and as you can imagine, the the student crowd was not exactly capacity. Did you at any point scream, where's the juice? I should have. <laughs> I was maybe too cold to, to scream out, where's the juice? I guess we can't complain too much when they actually open it up and we get to see some stuff. And <laughs> right. They're like, oh, it was miserable out there. It was so cold. I don't like it at all. No, it was it was good to be out there and actually see some football, even if it was just a practice. Yeah, and here's what we're going to get to today. We have a lot to get to. Okay, we're going to start with that open practice. We'll talk a little bit about quarterbacks uh we'll talk about adonis alexander not practicing receivers um drake delicious i look forward to talking about that that was funny your tweet if anybody saw that uh big squat friday i want to get into big squat friday spring game that's this week we're going to talk about that the format attendance expectations of course then we'll uh get a little bit into how the message boards are riled up virginia tech message boards are riled up which is always a good topic for us ESPN's win projections. Then we'll have the picnic caskets tweet of the week and get out of here with a little Masters talk and maybe a little baseball. Then we'll hit the um, the prediction, which will be who wins the spring game. All the, the all important question: Who, which side of the ball, offense or defense, will win the spring game? <laughs> so stay tuned for that. If you missed that, you will be sorry. Let's start. I want to start with quarterbacks because I saw multiple tweets. One from you and one seconded, uh, seconding by. Um, by David Teal, the Hall of Well, Famer. yeah, when he chimes in. I mean, that's a Hall of Fame yeah. second. It underscores the value of the Me, tweet. Me, if I tweet it, it's just some, who's this guy? He's not even verified. Who's this scrub <laughs> tweeting this thing? Then Teal comes over the top and says second. It's like, all right, now it's got some gravitas to it. It does. And what uh, what the tweet was was about Ryan Willis, not, a, not about all the quarterbacks we're usually talking about. Tell us about Ryan Willis and what he looked like out there. He can sling it. I'm telling you, the, the guy's got an arm. He throws a pretty ball. Uh, uh, it looks like he's not afraid to put it into tight spaces, which uh, can get a quarterback in trouble. And you look at his stats at Kansas uh, before he transferred here, he had 12 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. So maybe uh, that sort of gunslinger mentality is not all too great all the time, but he's not afraid to, to take a throw and put it in somewhere. This is the first chance we've seen uh, Ryan Willis. I mean, we obviously don't see a lot of practice to begin with, he transferred last year, had to sit out, uh, so he was on the scout team. So we don't really see a whole lot of him. Didn't see him in the spring game last year, I don't think. I don't remember seeing him. Or no. if we did, he didn't play a whole lot, or it was just like a, an afterthought. 
uh, certainly with the way the other quarterbacks played and Hendon Hooker and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting to see him get out there and throw the ball around. He's got a pretty good arm, and, uh, you know, he looked like he had a, a decent rapport with the receivers. Uh, Hendon Hooker, maybe not his best day, and I'm going to caution, you know, I'm saying this after seeing part of one of 15 practices in the spring. So I don't want to jump to the conclusion that this is the, the way things are all the time, but uh, didn't look as confident throwing the ball. Uh, didn't put the ball maybe on the money as much as, as the other two quarterbacks did. It was interesting. Fuente was asked afterwards, and uh, I forget who asked the question. I think it was a TV reporter who asked the question. It's like, I, you know, how's it going for the competition for your backup quarterback spot? And Fuente's never really like come out and said Jackson's the starter, but he just answered the question just straight up as though, yes, it is sort of that way. And I, I think it kind of goes that way that people kind of assume that Jackson's got the inside track of the starting job. But then he said, you know, Willis has been out there before. I mean, he played two years at Kansas, had to sit out and came back. Hendon Hooker's never played in an actual college game. So, you know, the fact that Willis has played before, you know, he's probably a little bit ahead in that sense. And uh, you said, I'm not ruling out Hooker, you know, catching up or anything. But he sort of, you know, was saying in that statement that, yeah, Hooker maybe has to catch up a little bit to the other two guys. So I think you can sort of see a, a pecking order uh, being established at quarterback. I don't want to come out and say that's what it's going to be because there's a long time uh, until the, the first game of the season. But, you know, I, I think if I had to put a pecking order right now, I'd probably say Jackson, Willis, and then Hooker. Does Willis have any mobility at all? Or? He They ran a play late. It was 11-on-11, 11 11, uh, you know, first team versus first team. And they, a play sort of broke down, and he had to scramble and run up the middle. Uh, and he darted through there a lot quicker than I thought he would and, and gained some decent yardage. And then they got down to the goal line. I think Coleman Fox eventually punched the ball in. On our touchdown run must have been garbage time. Yes, it must have been. Uh, no, but I mean, he moved better than I thought he did. He's certainly not a statue back there. I don't think he's going to be confused with Gerard Evans as a runner, uh, but neither is Josh Jackson. So uh, you know, he moved better than I thought he did, and, and yeah, I, I honestly think he could be a, a viable person in this competition. Well, that's interesting, and you know, one thing you get to see when you actually go to practice that you may not have known or may not have seen is who's working where. And one of the surprises that I guess the that the media picked up on in watching practice was that Silas Dancy, a, a redshirt freshman, was working at left tackle. Uh, what does that mean? Well, that's sort of surprising because you've got Yash Nijman, who's a two-year starter at left tackle, uh, who's returning, coming back from an injury, but he's returning. And you, I just sort of assumed, I think a lot of people assumed, that he would just go right back into that left tackle spot. And he uh, has been working at right tackle, Silas Dancy moving up to the first team. Uh that's kind of remarkable if you think about it. I mean, this was a guy that prepped at Fork Union in 2016, redshirted last year and worked on scout team, and now he's working with the first team at left tackle instead of a two-year starter that, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be like this in the future. You know how they mix and match so much in the offensive line uh, trying to find the right pieces, but it sounds like he's been working there for a while this spring. He's always worked on the left side as a tackle uh, Nijman, you know, there's, there's not, uh, it's not like there's not a track record of moving a guy like this. John McLaughlin played left tackle for most of his career and then moved to right tackle for his senior year to wait, make way for Josh Nijman. Um, I wonder if this is the way it might be in the spring. Now, did Tyrell Smith, I, I wasn't looking specifically for him yesterday. He's a guy that's also been in the tackle mix. Uh, TJ Jackson is a guy who, who's played tackle before. They had him working at some guard yesterday at both guard spots. So, 
I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, but the fact that Silas Dancy was working with the first team this late in the spring uh, tells me he's probably going to be a factor in this competition come fall. Well, speaking of O-line, I didn't have this on our sheet, but I saw you had a tweet that, I guess, in recruiting, they're doing fairly well on, what, the 2019 class, or, or is it beyond that? Uh, yeah, 2019 class, uh, who was the commitment yesterday? Brian Hudson, uh, four-star offensive lineman from Kentucky. Okay. Uh, you pair him with Jesse Hansen, the four-star guy from, from Daleville, and that's two four-star offensive linemen of the five commitments they have so far. They don't get a ton of four-star offensive no. linemen. I mean, the last one they had, I think, was Austin Clark, who gave up football after a year mm-hmm. uh, in college. Uh, before that, I'm not exactly sure the breakdown of the stars, but I know Austin Clark was one of the highest-ranked guys they had gotten since Vincent Painter. Was he Rockbridge County, or was he somewhere else? Austin Clark? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Okay, right, right. Okay. Uh, right I think right. up that way. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's just – it's not a position that they have recruited, you know, sort of the star type players. They sort of get the more developmental guys. And I'm not saying these two aren't going to be developmental because I think every offensive lineman is right. coming in here. They need to just add size and strength before they can really go out there and uh, perform well on the field. But uh, that's a very good start to this recruiting class in terms of the offensive line class. And I think that's always something that people wonder about because it's been such a problem spot for the Hokies over the years. I'm looking at the group they have right now, and, you know, we talked to Ricky Walker after the game or after the the practice last night, and he said, you know, I think they're actually going to be one of the strengths of this team. And he sort of acknowledged the fact that that's sort of surprising because it has not been that way over the years. And you look at who they lose. They lose Eric Gallo, lose Wyatt Teller, a first-team All-ACC guy, Wyatt Teller. You would think that they would take a big step back. But the guys they have stepping in, I mean, DeAndre Plant is a, a redshirt junior. He's been around for a while. Uh, Terrell Smith, if he does play, he's a redshirt junior. He's been around for a while. They have three starters back. Uh, Dancy, if he's making this move, that's pretty impressive. I, I think this could be a better group than, than maybe people think going into the year. Well, this recruiting bump I am attributing solely to the awesomeness of Vance Vice. I told you in December I was at the uh, the high school championship game in Williamsburg, and he was there, and he, he just has a presence about him, man. See him on the sidelines, and you're like, yeah, that, that guy. It's the haircut, I think. Right? Actually, I think Bud was at Bud Bud Foster was at that that game. Uh, he was Vance Vice was just at a random Lord Botetourt game. Well, he was. I think wasn't he scouting uh, Luke Tenuta? He was, and they he eventually was. got Luke Tenuta. Luke Tenuta and class. Hansen, I think, yeah. Both. So it was a productive scouting effort on his part to go he, out there. Yeah, no. The doubt. interesting thing with Dancy, and I, I should mention this part of his sort of. Uh, leap from it he went to fork union is sort of a sign and place guy not very highly recruited not a lot of schools were on to him was 242 pounds and he came into virginia tech it's 304 pounds the next year and we asked him how did you get that big he's like a lot of peanut butter and jelly <laughs> it's like there's more fun ways to get there well i can tack it to give him some tips you go to Fork Union, and what is there to do yeah. other than to, like, work out and go to school? Because uh, you're in a military environment setting. I mean, there's just not a lot to do <laughs> in that place when you go there. So a lot of these guys go in, and they have sort of this disciplined and structured schedule more so than they've ever had in their life. They're always working out. They're always eating. <laughs> I mean, it's, they, they come out of there in pretty good shape. I think that's a pretty good uh, relationship that Virginia Tech has with Fork Union over the years. They've been able to pull guys out of there, and they, they come out uh, certainly physically a lot more capable and, and, and I would imagine mentally a lot more capable. Well, they've been through hard. They've seen tough. They've seen tough. Uh, they should put that on a business card. That's really a, should. I like that. Uh, Adonis Alexander is not practicing with the team right now. What's up with him? 
Uh, I'm not quite sure. We asked Fuente about this, obviously, because we saw him, you know, not dressed for the thing, and he sort of gritted his teeth because he hates questions about guys not practicing. He says Adonis is a little nicked up and then working on school, which I thought was a weird way to phrase it. And I tweeted it, and somebody's like, "Oh, lol, little licked up, little nicked up. He broke his collarbone." It's like, oh, well, if that was the case, why don't you just come out and say that he broke it? I don't know if that's actually the case. I'm just saying what this person tweeted at me. They seemed pretty uh, sure about it. I didn't see any kind of, like, brace or anything that he was wearing with. I don't know what you would have if you broke your collarbone. But uh, if that was the case, I don't know why you would say it like that and said, and he's working on school. Um, with Adonis and his history of, like, oh, is he going to be a reliable guy? He's been suspended a couple times. You hear that, and he's working on school. Like, oh, is that the reason he's not out there? And is this an issue and is, is that something that's going to be, you know, sort of linger over into the fall? So I don't know, quite know why Fuente would phrase it that way if there weren't something else that he was working on. But either way, he's not going to be out there for the spring game. Not too surprising. I mean, if anybody is uh, even has a hangnail at the spring game, they're probably going to keep them out, just especially somebody of his experience, get some younger guys some reps. Uh, I will say that that does take sort of the top two corners out of the spring game because Gary are the cool two top two corners I would imagine that are here right now because Caleb Farley uh, still coming back from knee injury he's been in blue hasn't been a full participant all spring he's certainly not going to play in the spring game either uh, the top two corners out there yesterday that we saw were Bryce Watts and Tyree Rogers. Uh, I think it could potentially be sort of a, an opportunity for these receivers in the spring game to go up and put up some big numbers because you, you don't have the number one or the top uh, cornerbacks out there going up against them. Well, you saw some good things out of the receivers on Tuesday night, didn't you? Yeah, I thought Phil Patterson looked pretty good. He was working with the ones, um, had a touchdown catch in an 11-on-11 situation late. Uh, a couple other guys, the other guys working on the first team, Sean Savoy, Hezekiah Grimsley, that's not too surprising considering – uh, Damon Hazelton, Eric Kuma. Uh, I think Hazelton's completely out of the spring. Kuma's been limited. Uh, a couple guys that made some catches that at least caught your eye were Sean Daniel, uh, who's a walk-on, and uh, Caleb Smith, who's another walk-on, but was announced a- along with this freshman class in the signing day in December. Uh, they wear numbers 38 and 39 which is weird for receivers. So I kept seeing like a 30-something making plays a receiver. I'm like, man, this guy's all over the field. He's making <laughs> one-handed snags. I'm like, oh, those are actually two separate guys. Uh, Daniel just made like a nice one-handed snag on a, a sort of a skeleton drill type thing that they were doing. Uh, I think Caleb Smith had a touchdown in a uh, – I, I forget the drill exactly, but he had a, a deep ball that he caught for a touchdown. I think in the last scrimmage he had a touchdown too. They only showed the celebration – on Virginia Tech's Twitter account, but uh, he at least has been making plays from the sounds of it. And he was a he was a guy. I think Louisa County is where he came from. Uh, turned down a scholarship offer from Wake Forest to sign as a preferred walk-on at Virginia Tech. Uh, so, I mean, if he had a scholarship from Wake offer from yeah. Wake Forest, that sounds like a more legitimate player than some of these other preferred walk-ons that they have. Uh, I'll be interested to see what he can do because he seems like a pretty decent size guy. I think he's a, a little bit taller than you would imagine from a preferred walk-on. I mean, if he's out there making plays right now, I, I think he's got a chance to contribute. Well, and you wonder if the coaches didn't tell him, hey, look, you know, if you if you get in the mix, you'll be on scholarship before you know it. We just can't give you one right now. Yeah, I mean, that's always sort of the the promise with preferred yeah. walk-ons is, you, you, hey, you'll at least get your shot, and if you impress, then, yeah, we will put you on scholarship. Because it's hard to imagine turning down a, a scholarship for nothing. You know. Yeah, usually with those guys, it's turning down an opportunity to play at like 
an FCS school yeah. or something like that, or uh, you know, in Sam Rogers' case, I think it was even like some Division three was where he had the best opportunities to play. Uh, so obviously, coming to Tech was a, a better opportunity. Uh, but yeah, this one to turn down a full ride somewhere to go somewhere else, and you know, I don't know the whole story behind that. But he was committed for a while, I think, and then decommitted. Uh, so to come to Virginia Tech to do that, he, he must think he's got a, a pretty good shot of getting playing time. Well, we're taping this on a Wednesday, and you you wrote about uh, tight ends in today's paper. But one thing I read your story, and one thing I was disappointed not to see was the Drake Delicious. Uh, oh, was in there? Oh, was it? Okay, I must have skipped. It was over. near the end. Okay. Maybe I bailed uh, before that. Oh, yeah. No. You probably did. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us the Drake Delicious story. I love it. Drake Dulius, whose last name is just a nightmare, if you look at it. It's D-E capital I-U-L-I-I-S. How is, would, that, is that Greek, you think? I have no idea. How do you, how do you think you would pronounce that if you looked at it? Deulius. Yeah, I, I think would, I would think it's Deulius. It. Yeah. Apparently it's Dulius. Okay. Like Julius, but you just say Dulius. Julia Gulia. Uh, so really, the, one of the primary questions I had from yesterday was how was the worst butchering of your name that somebody has had pronouncing it? And he said it got so bad in high school that the coaches just like gave up and just started calling me delicious. <laughs> that is such a football thing to do. Delicious. It's <laughs> just the easy way out. And we're like, that. that's all. Like, first of all, like, if you don't like it, why would you tell the world that? And he's like, well, actually, like Ben Hilgert, the strength coach, like has found out about that. So now they've started calling him delicious, I guess, in certain <laughs> situations. So Drake delicious or Dulius, uh, one of the tight ends uh, trying to compete for playing time. But I, I think it's relevant because he's one of the guys trying to get in the mix. And it, it sounds like the tight ends might be more of a, a passing component this year than they were in uh, the past couple years. Uh, they have some guys that are finally maturing into those roles. And sort of the crux of my story today was that, you know, when Fuente got here, that tight end H-back position, they didn't really have guys that, that fit exactly what they wanted there. I mean, they used Bucky Hodges essentially as a receiver, not as a, a tight end H-back type person probably because his blocking left a lot to be desired. Uh, they really had Stephen Peoples and Sam Rogers, who are more running back types that played in that role. And and uh, I think in this offense, what they wanted more was a tight end type guy, you know, versatile guys, but sort of a tight end body. And now they have that. I mean, Chris Cunningham, the smallest of the three guys they have playing there, 6'2", 240, caught six passes two years ago. Four of them went for touchdowns. Last year had one touchdown. It came against UVA. It was the lone score in that game. Uh, uh, Dalton Keene was a true freshman last year, 6'4", 240 in that range somewhere. Uh, Sort of does a little bit more fullback type stuff, whereas Cunningham's more on the line. Uh, Drake Dulius, delicious, uh, is a 6'5 guy, 240. Uh, you know, he was going to play last year. Midway through the season, they decided he was going to play. Uh, he played against Boston College. They thought he could be helping those sort of like 50-50 balls up in the air because he, he just sort of has that uh, capability to go up and be a mismatch problem. He pulled his hamstring during the bye week and then didn't play the rest of the year. He got a medical redshirt. Uh, so he's really only a redshirt freshman right now. Uh, but those three, I think, you know, sort of the combination of their skills uh, – does what they want from that position. Now, I think they they want to get it more well-rounded so that everybody can do everything when they're in there, but I think they see a lot more capabilities of that group this year. James Mitchell's a freshman that's coming in. Uh, he's a fourth guy. You know, I asked Fuente, he's like, how many guys do you want there? He's like, well, we have three. We'd like five. So that tells you how interested they are in the position. 
how much they want to have guys that are versatile and can do a lot of things. Uh, so I think it's starting to look a lot more like what they think it should look like in that room. That's very good analysis. There's a lot of meat to that, and that might have been why I bailed on the story because I was just, I just came for the delicious. I came for delicious. <laughs> you you know, did not give me delicious in the lead. <laughs> what gives? Well, anytime I'm I do, a man I, of the people here. I, give us delicious. I'm glad you asked that question because I think. Um, you know, questions like that often prompt good stories. I, every time I do a feature interview with somebody, you know, a Red Sox player or a, a hockey guy or something, you know, I usually have some throwaway questions at the end. One of them is always like, if, if they're if you were on Jeopardy and a, a category popped up and you just said, "Oh, I'm going to own that," you know, sometimes you get something good out of that. Or who's who's got the best nickname on the team? You usually, you get something good out of that. So delicious. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a way to like get somebody to loosen up. Every interview we do is at the podium. Right. So they're standing there like a politician giving responses. It's like, let's try to get them out of a comfort, out of a you know trance here. Just, oh, yeah, we're trying to work hard and get better every day. It's like, now tell me how badly people mispronounce your name. It's like, <laughs> okay, well, you lightened up a little bit there and gave a pretty good answer. Well, defensive tackle Jarrett Hewitt says he loves Big Squat Friday. He lives for it, according to Mike Barber's tweet from Richmond. Um, I cannot think of a single thing worse than spending a Friday doing big squats. How many squats have you done in your in your lifetime? Uh, not a ton. And I do work it into my workout regimen. I don't enjoy them. Oh, you still do them voluntarily? Every now and then. See, pitchers, we had to, you know, lower body's a big deal for pitchers. We had to do Got to have squat. that drive. Yeah, and oh my God, I always felt like my kneecaps were going to break and start oozing fluids. I mean, it was just. You're like, what's the point of this, coach? Why are we doing this? Tops out at 84. It's like, oh, that's that's why. That's, that's why. why. <laughs> but when you're kind of tall and angular, as I was during my playing days, it, the squats are very uncomfortable. But Hewitt likes Big Squat Friday, and uh, apparently there's a story that would illustrate why well he was a competitive weightlifter in high school it's just like a sport they have in florida like a high school sport powerlifting yeah so he was all about it he loved doing it uh i forget the numbers he gave us at the end uh let's see bench press his best was 415 that's pretty good that is good best clean and jerk was only 325 but he's been able to clean a lot more than that Mm. Uh, is what he says. He's working on the jerk part. Yeah, the clean and jerk. I don't even know exactly. Is that the one where you kind of like whip it up? You whip it up. Yeah. And then you, the you jerk f- portion of it. You push it, press it over your head, I believe. That's how you finish okay. it. Okay. Or maybe you just whip it up. Clean and A couple press. of uh, weightlifting savants over here, as you can tell. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, he liked it. I was just trying to imagine, like, what is the weightlifting competition vibe like in Florida like I imagine just like a lot of muscle tees and like American flag bandanas and stuff <laughs> like big eagles on the bandana and you're just like let's do this let's get it up and they got Springsteen playing on the, the you know jukebox to get them going and everything like that I, I also like he's from Venice Florida for some reason I just imagine them like doing it on the beach oh yeah <laughs> like one of those outdoor weightlifting things it, it, that'd be a, a pretty comical thing to cover i think well, who's that baseball guy that spoofs uh baseball instruction videos can can uh whatever okay i, I, I pictured him looking like him you know sort of like with the <laughs> everyone looking like him except for the good the good lifters you know the good lifters have the uh you know the belts and all that but this this guy just you know he's just showing up to show what he can do just loads up on the chalk just <laughs> chalk everywhere on his hands and it's just like all over the place yeah that'd be 
That'd be something. To, uh, that'd be interesting to cover sometime. I think spring game is Saturday. Woohoo! Gonna be a beautiful day. Yeah, that's the best part about it. Is it's supposed to be nice out after the miserable weather we've yeah. had. Like February was nicer than March or April so far. Somehow. I know, that's Explain crazy. that to me, that weather is, people. Hey, Come on. My daughter was saying that to this morning. She was like, February wasn't so bad this year. She was thinking about moving it up uh, the rankings from, from last. It's been twelve mid years. <laughs> February sucks. But yeah, March was March was terrible. Uh, but this should be good. Mid seventies, sun. Um, and we'll get to attendance expectations in a minute because we know that's what everybody that's, wants to hear. That's what everybody wants. First of all, remind us what this format is uh, for the game. It is an offense versus defense format. Uh, they're basically going to have a controlled scrimmage. Uh, offense can score points, as it usually does. Touchdown six, field goal three, extra points one. The defense gets seven points for a turnover, three points for a three and out, one for a defensive stop. Uh, the defense can only score points in one way per drive. So it's not like if they get a three and out with an interception for a time, they get 11 points or whatever it is. They only get points for the one thing. Uh, that's sort of how they've done it for a while now. I think every year that Fuente's been here, this has been the system, the scoring system that they've had and the format. I don't really know how you do it any other way now. Uh, with with so many guys sitting out because of injuries, I mean, every year it's like that. I would imagine this year is not any different. That it's just not going to take a risk with anybody who might be in, putting themselves in danger by going out there. Uh, I don't know how you could split up a squad and have two actual teams and have cohesive units on each one. I mean, I think I've seen schools try to do that before, and people are like, oh, that would make it better. And it doesn't make it better. It no. just it makes it more confusing. You're like, why is the second team left tackle working with the third string guard? And you sort of want to have sort of cohesive units out there when you do this. And every now and then you see ones versus ones on defense and in offense. You're like, okay, this is a really interesting part of the the scrimmage. So I, I really have no problem with them doing it this way. No, I like I like this system. Uh, I think the only thing that would make it better would be some sort of gambling component. You know, where the winning side gets something. Now, you know, or the losing side gets punished in some embarrassing way. Uh, so there was a little more at stake, but uh, I thought you were talking about gambling component for you. Oh, like, well, where's there, the line? There will be a gambling. Is that component sort of the litmus test whether you have a gambling problem? <laughs> is if you're betting on the spring game results? Uh, I think Little League World Series is probably the lowest. I game. thought Team Medal of Honor was due. I thought they were going to win. Are they? Is that what they're calling? Well, them no. Right? That's remember that's when they had. Uh, <laughs> it was one of Frank's last years at the spring game where they had like team medal of honor and team valor discovery channel or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. That that's the other part is how do you name the two teams it, orange and maroon and they're not wearing like the right colors. It's, it's, it's always a mess. Well, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Frank was inducted into the Virginia sports hall of fame this past weekend. He's got a little bigger one coming up this, this yeah. winter, but um, congrats to Frank. Congrats. Along with some scrub from our newsroom that went in. <laughs> That's right. Mr. Dowdy, congratulations to Doug. Uh, a fine career, and he's uh, been recognized for it in the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else we know. I mean, Teal we know is in there. Chuck Hartman went in Hartman, his class yeah, as well. Chuck's a great fella. Uh, was a great quote during his baseball days. I loved interviewing Chuck. Uh, so congrats to him as well. Michael Kadire was in this class. Oh, was he? Rick Mahorn. I'm surprised Kara, you didn't go up. Kadire. Kara Lawson. Twin. Yeah. It, it was a, this was a star-studded class that they had going in. So no doubt. It was a pretty no good doubt. one. All right. Let's answer the question everybody wants to know. How many fans will be in the seats on Saturday? A billion. <laughs> That's what you want to hear, right? That joke never gets old. So many. <laughs> Listen, 
I feel like spring game attendance is kind of like minor league attendance is where the game is secondary yeah. to everything. It's like, how nice is it? Right. And they're supposed to have really nice weather. It's like 75 degrees and, and sunny out. So I would imagine a good portion of fans would show up for this just because they want to go out and tailgate and another portion of the fan base would be like, okay, I really want to see the team. But I think you ask 90% of the people out there. It's like, I just like tailgating and going to the stadium again because it feels like it's a football Saturday. I was going to say, what do you think the percentage of hardcore, like I really am watching this because I want to tweet later what I saw and, and, and wrap it all into a blog post or something like that. How many people outside of the media – are entering this game that way because I don't think it's I think it's probably five percent. I say less than ten percent. Yeah, five percent maybe. Yeah, uh, the rest. I mean, every hokey fan that I know, even the really rabid ones that I know, they are all just yeah. I'm going to be drinking in the parking lot and may or may not go inside. You know, like yeah, when it's yeah. time for the game, I may go in. Uh, we'll see how drunk I am. You know, well the, the spring game, you get out there for the first couple drives, you're like, all right, here we go. This is exciting. <laughs> this just like, all right, yeah, okay. I will say. Oh, okay, the said third stringers are in there, and all right, yeah. <laughs> I will say, uh, Fuente keeps it moving, and there there is no replay. Those are two really good things right there. There is nothing coaches like more than a running clock in the spring yeah. game. They are just counting down the seconds <laughs> until they can get out of there. And it's not like oh they're bored with this or something like that. They just don't want anybody to get hurt. That's like the biggest thing. I remember when I was at Wisconsin. I think it was the year after I had graduated and left there, and Lee Evans was like the star receiver. And he got – he, like, tore his ACL or did something to his Achilles, like, on the last play of the oh spring game. My. First of all, it's like, why was he even in there in the last play of the spring game? It's like, that's the worst nightmare is that somebody actually gets seriously hurt in the spring game. And that's why anybody that is even – has the sniffles, they're like, nope, just sit this one out. Uh, you know, if they sit out the starter, it's just an opportunity for the backup to get more reps and sort of a, a bigger stage moment than the regular spring practice. Uh, but, yeah, the coaches just kind of want to get through it and be done with it. Well, I'm excited because after the game and my Mexican dinner somewhere in Blacksburg, I will be heading to Withville, and then the next day I'll be covering the Bristol race. Never been to Bristol outside of the battle at Bristol. Yeah, I, that's a football stadium, right? That's uh, yeah, the only time right. I've been there. Yeah, I'm going for the East Tennessee State game they have. No, it, it, it should be fun. Well, I have a little more perspective on a Bristol race than you do because I've actually driven around the track that's in right. a car. You did so, do that. you know, big NASCAR fan. Uh, me, I, I have a deeper understanding of what it's like to race in Bristol. I am absolutely terrified of the traffic situation. I've emailed their SID, and I've been like, what, you, what am I supposed to do? What time do I need to get there? I'll probably get there before the sun comes up. That's how terrified and I am. You'll be walking around, and you'll come at the gate, and the guy will be like, ain't no race today. <laughs> ain't no race today, boy. Dang it. Not again. I really need to check my phone more often. Well, NASCAR fans are the type that often get riled up on message boards, but we're talking Hokie fans getting riled up on message boards. You you know, there was a time way back in the day before Twitter and everything, I used to just stop by the message boards just to see what people were talking about. See what the buzz is yeah. around the water cooler. And then, you know, some guy named McFardog76 would, would chime in and say, you got to read this McFarlane column. It's really good today. He's amazing. <laughs> Where does he come up with these Simpsons references? <laughs> what, what are they talking about? They're the interest in the team is not high enough for, for their liking? What's well, going on? I think they're a little riled up because, it, I mean, the spring game is Saturday. Does it feel like the spring game is coming up Saturday? Does it feel like there's been this sort of forward momentum to it from you know this outpouring of news from the spring and people getting excited about stuff? Not really, no. Yeah. and You know, we've talked about it before. And everybody just kind of rolls their eyes whenever we mention it. It's like, oh, the lack of access, the lack of interviews and information coming out of the program. It's quick complaining. You know, the, your reporters go find it some other way. 
Uh, the point that we've always tried to make about that is like this is going to filter down into how much you know about your team. Uh, and I think a lot of people are starting to take notice like right now of like, hey, don't really know much about this team. And some people just defend us like, that's good. I don't want our opponents knowing anything right. about that. That's BS, first of all. Like, you know, opponents watch film. They know more than any reporter could possibly ever tell you from interviews and stuff like that. Um, you know, you see Dabo Sweeney running a pretty open program there. Florida State, Alabama even has more access than Virginia Tech does. They're doing okay as a program. Pete Carroll won national championships all the time uh, back in the day at USC. Bobby Bowden was the same way at Florida State. I don't think there's any correlation between how much access you give the media and how many wins and losses you have during the season. Uh, but, you know, Fuente sort of runs a, a closed-up shop. That's his prerogative. You know, there's not really much we can do about that. But I think some of the fans now are noticing. It's like, man, it's just tough to get any information about this team. It's tough to feel excited about what you're going to watch. And some, pe- some people don't care. Some people are like, you know, it's fine. I just want to go to the games in the, in the fall, and it doesn't matter to me if I read a whole bunch of stuff in the offseason about it. And other people are like, I really want to be invested in this team and want to know more about it. I don't really know that much because it's hard to get to know anybody or get any information out of it. So I think there's maybe a little bit of angst bu- bubbling up from certain segment of the fans. I mean, it's certainly a small minority. Right. And as we mentioned before, we think well over 90% are just going to the spring game for the weather. But there are a lot of hardcore fans out there that are really interested in this stuff. And when you think about who are the people that are going to be your donors, who are the ones that really invest in that stuff, I think there's a lot of overlap between those people that, that want to get the information and, and the people that are willing to donate to your programs. I want... I'm, I. I'm not going to come out and say, like, oh, that's affecting it, but I'm curious how much it does affect it. Yeah, it's definitely the 10% uh, or less that, that are really uh, craving that stuff. But you're right. It is – you know, I've, I've always been a big Oriole fan. I remember back when uh, Rock Kabako first started his blog, I ate up every single thing he wrote in spring training. And spring training is a time where you just don't, you know, only a few people actually care what happens in spring training. It's like the five spring training stories, like best shape of his life, but no, uh, trying is, to do pitch. Exactly, but he had, he had kind of revolutionized it in terms of Orioles coverage. Nobody had done what he was doing, which was daily reports and many features and just – it was like great. I now I know about this, you know, this young pup who's coming up and and maybe uh, uh, challenging for a spot on the roster this year. And th- those are the kinds of things I get. I think fans are missing from the Virginia Tech spring. It's just it's not really there. Um, you guys are all doing the best that you can, and I, I'm sure what you, your work is appreciated. But there could be certainly more opportunities and a more of a gateway opened uh, for a flood of information to come yeah, out I, that's, I, that's not proprietary or harmful. To yeah, I think it all. helps. I mean, I think it helps to get to know these little, like, smaller stories on the team and feel, like, a connection to some of these players. And I don't quite know why they block it out so much. I, I don't really see the harm. Like, I can understand you, you don't want to see, like, X's nose and scrimmages and stuff like that, but I feel like opening it up a little bit to get to know these players and coaches a little bit better wouldn't be the worst thing. Well, I'm still mad about the Coleman Fox blockage. I mean, that that's one that affected me. I mean, because he wasn't on the top two rungs of the depth chart. We can't write about a local guy who does, you know, scores a touchdown in, as you like to say, garbage time. But who knows what that could lead to, you know, just getting an opportunity. And you want to talk to guys and 
just can't. You just right. can't. And so you get a little bitter because you're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just write whatever you put out there? Like, that's what right. I'm supposed to write? Like, whatever you say? Like, Plus, it's not like you have some sort of nefarious angle none, you're coming in there none. with. So I think that's what they're guarding against is they don't want to have, like, oh, somebody just gets burned by the media. Well, but here's how you do it. I think it's a pretty let, good track record of that not happening all too often. You let the person do the story, and if they burn you with that story somehow – then you say, okay, well, you're not doing that again. Right. That's right. how you do it. But they know they know what I would have written. It would have been a total puff piece, but I think people would have enjoyed it. Anyway. That's Puffy <laughs> McPufferson here on the Virginia Tech beat. And and uh, congrats to Coleman for scoring that touchdown. I know you just – you're so bitter about his performance. I'm not hating on Coleman <laughs> Fox. Stop can't. trying to make it sound like I'm the one that's keeping him out of the game. Stop it. <laughs> ESPN released its win projections. It's FPI. It's Football okay. Power Index. They've had these rankings for a while. Uh, last week, they finally uh, attached a win-loss total. They do 10,000 simulations, I guess, with the however they do it with their formula. Uh, they simulate the entire season that many times, and they have an average of how many wins and losses you have. Hokies had 8.0 wins and 4.2 losses. Where does that stand in the ACC? That is fourth most wins in the ACC. Clemson at 11.4 wins. Notre Dame, which I included for the purposes of this exercise, so I guess third in the ACC. Notre Dame, 10 wins. Miami, 9.5 wins. The Hokies with 8. Florida State had a higher ranking uh, than Virginia Tech. Uh, they were 18th, Virginia Tech 22nd, but Florida State projected for 7.3 wins because they have a tougher schedule mm, uh, than the Hokies have. The Hokies actually have the second easiest schedule in the ACC, uh, according to this uh, metric. UVA, the only one that has an easier schedule than Virginia really? Tech. Huh. Uh, this is just their rankings of how they have it. Uh, so eight wins, what do you think of that? Does that, yeah, that sound sounds, about right? I think that sounds about right. I'd like to see the Vegas over-unders and, and, and how they compare. But, yeah, even, doesn't that sound right to you? I mean, that's about what we have come to expect their expectation to be. Yeah, I would think so. I, I would think it probably a little bit of a step back from last year when they went 9-3 and three during the regular season and probably were fortunate to go 9-3. and three. When you look at the game they pulled out against Pitt at the very end, uh, yeah, I, I think this feels about right. It's not the toughest schedule, like we've mentioned. I mean, I think you look at the toughest games with obviously Florida State, Notre Dame, and Miami. Those are three games. It's like, okay, that's going to be tough to win. And then they do individual percentages of, uh, you know, how good of a chances do you have to win those games. Those are the three that were under 50% for Virginia Tech. The other one that was really close that the Hokies were favored in, but it, not by much, was 51% against Duke. That's a game at Duke that, you know, the Blue Devils have historically sort of been a thorn in the Hokie side, at least playing them tough uh, lately. Uh, I think uh, until last year, the road team had won the previous four games in that matchup. So uh, a pretty manageable schedule, which is why I think they're so high in terms of win total. Um, I don't know. I look at this team and I see, you know, I had to fill out sort of nominations for the Athlon, like who's on the first team, second team, third team in the ACC, and the only like clear cut first team guy that I could come up with was Ricky Walker mm. at defensive tackle. I mean, can you think of anybody else that would really be mentioned in that breath of, of possible first team all ACC guys? I mean, you would say maybe Alexander, but maybe, yeah, you know, I mean, a big I, cloud over him right now with what we talked about earlier. So yeah, knows? I haven't seen enough from him to put him in that category. He could certainly do it. Right. I would say, but just right now, based on what he's accomplished so far, I'd say no, uh, 
but yeah, I mean, last year I thought it was really easy to come up with guys. It was like, you know, Teller, Stroman, all the, like you could just list them right off. Cam Phillips was way up there. Uh, but yeah, I had a tougher time this year. And I wonder if that's, you know, they, they maybe are building more young depth than guys that are capable in the system, but I think they're maybe sort of lacking that star power, or the, the headliner guys that you've had the last couple of years that were holdovers from the Frank Beamer era, you know, with the exception of Gerard Evans, who, you know, Fuente brought in. But there were there were a lot of older, productive guys in this, uh, this uh, program, and I think there's just fewer of those guys right now. Yeah. Yeah, I expect to step back, but if that schedule is the second easiest in the league, that helps a lot. <laughs> that helps a lot uh, in getting those wins up. Well, when you tweeted out that ESPN – uh, rankings thing. Did you get get a lot of good response there? Yeah, Andy? yeah, it was pretty good. A, a lot of retweets, a lot of responses. A lot of people were opinionated about that one. Huh. You know who didn't get a lot of responses? Who's that, Aaron? Six million ways to die. Choose one. That's right. It's time for the picnic caskets tweet of the week. Andy, I was all over the lick. You want to explain the picnic caskets for the? Viewers that have no uh, this, idea what you're talking well, about. Well, go back to episode, I think, 141. Well, I'm just saying it's it's a tweet it's that, a tweet that underperforms, underperforms to my own expectations. Uh, I had a lot of terrible tweets this week. You were on a roll. I, I think, <laughs> were you a little ailed up during the Masters final? You're like, let's get to let them fly. Here we go. It was go. wrapping up a spring bake vacation, yes. And so it uh, was hitting on NASCAR and WrestleMania. And I don't, I don't even like WrestleMania. But uh, this, is, uh, this was tweeted on Sunday night just after the – Ball went in the cup to give Patrick Reed his uh, green jacket. Um, Nick Faldo had a quote where he, like, moments after the ball fell in the cup, he referenced the Imagine Dragons. Do you remember that? I actually did not. I, like, I saw the final putt, but I, it was in the other room, sort of monitoring it from afar, so I didn't hear okay. what he had to well, say. There, there were several, I wouldn't have recognized an Imagine Dragons quote <laughs> as it happened anyway. Well, he referenced the band itself, and it was it was very odd. And uh, several people on Twitter just you know ripped Faldo for it. Uh, and Nance Really? Was, on Twitter? <laughs> Usually they're so forgiving to something like that on Twitter. So I decided to jump into that pool at... Um, Let's see what time this tweet was uh, delivered. I'm sorry, this is going slow. Uh, 6.44 p.m. Faldo, as the meat puppets once said, quote, in the backwater swirling, there is something that will never change. Nance, just stop. Actually, I think Nance would encourage that. Nance likes those sort of like cheesy, schmaltzy lines at the end of the, the Masters. I would imagine that he would have been like, no. Explore that. Keep going with the meat puppets. Well, he did not hit the like button on it. Uh, only two people did. It was Johnny H. and Hunter. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. <laughs> Supporting Aaron's ego here with his <laughs> tweets. The crazy thing is some of the worst ones got the most likes this week. I, I That's think, always how Twitter is. Yeah, I think people are starting to, to, to get fired up about the really bad ones. Meat like, puppets is a good reference, though. Yeah. That was always our go-to. You know when you're doing like the making fun of the – uh, Saturday Night Live guy was like musical guests, <laughs> meat puppets. That was always the best one to go to. That remains the worst album I've ever bought. Meat puppets, too high to die, and it had uh, backwater, which is the song I referenced there. You know these obscure songs. I probably I don't I, really I always know think everyone's my age. Nobody you know, that was like ninety three or something. Um, what is the worst album you've ever purchased? That you just you listened to once and said, "Wow." Well, I think this was poor. Some of the albums that I bought, the bad ones were like, I bought it for the one song. Right. 
So I think uh, Blackstreet, No Diggity. <laughs> no Diggity was a like Hall of Fame song, sure, but yeah. the rest of that album was like, wow, this is not good. So that was one of them. I'm trying to think of some I other think ones. Blur, a lot of people would reference Blur. They liked Song 2, woohoo, but then the yeah. rest of it was just trash. I think at the time I bought the Blind, Mel- Blind Melon album. See, I didn't like their hit. I liked their hit, and then I listened to the rest of it, song. and I didn't like it. And now I think I've actually listened to some of the other songs. And I'm like, they're not bad. They're not as bad as maybe I thought. Maybe I was expecting something else back when I bought it. Yeah, the Meat Puppet, that was back in the days where you would go to, you know, if you had some spending cash, because I had a job at Wendy's, you know, and I just had some free cash to go to uh, Circuit City or whatever and buy a CD every now and then. You heard Backwater on the radio, and you think, eh, yeah, that sounds pretty much like all the alternative out there right now. Maybe they're pretty good, and, and it just was. Through my job at the movie theater, we'd always get these Sam Goody gift certificates, yeah. so then I would go over there with like 75 bucks in gift certificates and just like go crazy on the CDs. You would think We're really, really dating ourselves with this. These people are like, Sam first of all, Goody. Sam Goody CDs? <laughs> Blind melon? What is it? What language are you speaking with this stuff? <laughs> well, let's get back into the present. How, what did you think of the Masters? We talked last week how you, you're a big Masters guy. Uh, how much of it did you watch? How how enthralled were you with it? Uh, I watched quite a bit. I, I enjoyed the finale. I kind of wish Tiger was in the mix. I think a lot of people did because, you know, he was way out of it and people still paid attention to how his round went. But for a leaderboard that included Patrick Reed – uh, Jordan Spieth making his charge, Rory McIlroy, Ricky Fowler. I mean, that's a, a major, major leaderboard there to have all those guys in contention. I really thought Spieth was going to pull it off the way he was playing. What, he finished like minus seven, minus eight, something on his round. Um, what did he shoot? 63, right? Yeah, it was way under par. I mean, that, that's incredible yeah. at the Masters to do that in a final round. Uh, I thought he was going to pull it off. Then he bogeyed the last one, uh, I think, and, and missed an opportunity there. But Patrick Reed just kept making shots. He's such a villain in golf. Have you read about his story? Oh, oh yes. It's really interesting that story how villainized he is. Uh, and it's interesting because when I was down, uh, when I covered Auburn, it was for the Columbus, Georgia paper. And Columbus uh, has like a, a golf tournament in town, like a big amateur tournament. And a lot of those Augusta State guys were there. And I, I want to say Patrick Reed was part of that group that played there. I know Mitch Krivolich. Who was an Australian that, that golfed at Augusta State? He won the tournament, I think, when I covered it there. Uh, he was a teammate of Patrick Reed's at Augusta State. I think he's been part of these people that have been start, trying to set the record straight about kind of what a jerk Patrick Reed was when he was there. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting. Like the gallery at Augusta was not behind Patrick Reed. They wanted anybody but Patrick Reed to win that golf tournament, and he just kept making shots. He was, he was like Shooter McGavin out there. It's like he should have just embraced it and just gone full shooter. Just like <laughs> get the six shooters after he made the putt. He's like pop the collar and stuff like that. That would have been that would have been a, a more entertaining way than he's just like, oh, I'm very happy to win this tournament. You just don't see that. And, and not the, in golf. And the writers no. were scrambling too because they are used to just you know glorifying everything, and they're like, well, well, especially like like Sergio had a little bit of that last year. Colin he, he's, Montgomery, yeah, was he's that a little way. bit frosty with people, but Sergio had like yeah, you know, like they remember the young Sergio like skipping down the fairway to see where his shot landed and stuff. And he had like a flair to his game. Patrick Reed's just sort of just like frumpy, sort of overweight guy that. You know, he, he kind of trash-talked at the, the Ryder Cup last year. I guess people like that because it was for the USA, but if you trash-talk in any other element of golf, 
people are like, who is this guy? Golf is a game of decorum, and he's 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 ruining all this stuff. I I like it. He should just go full heel and just be like, you know, wear it. Did you find yourself getting frustrated that the the, the coverage wasn't coming on until three o'clock on, on Thursday and Friday? Or uh, no, because I sort of had stuff to do those days okay. actually, and you know they had the Tiger was streaming his round was online. Right. Uh, usually they just stream like some random pairing like, or, or a hole or yeah, something. Yeah. So so it was good in, in that sense. But uh, yeah, I didn't find myself like really angry at the Masters like I usually am for their lack of viewing options. Well, I know we ran the Tim Kalashaw column i guess he's detroit i mean uh, dallas morning news I think. yeah uh, but he wrote all about speeth because he didn't want to write about reed i guess he was like yeah the story of the masters was speeth well I'm he's thinking. a texas guy so. well true that's uh, that's a good point all right well uh i wrote a baseball column this week i watch a lot of baseball during baseball season i know you probably don't watch as much as i do but well uh, i watch it for my fantasy baseball team which stinks right now yeah so you may not everybody's hurt yeah i'm interested in what you think of my opinion but i've been watching and it I'm getting a little nervous about baseball and where it's headed because there's just not enough action. And I don't mean pace of play because I'm one of those guys I can sit there and watch however long. I, I don't care. I got an AL out in the stands. I'm I'm enjoying myself. But there's not – you know, you're not seeing ground balls. You're not seeing fly ball. You're not seeing people move. It's just a strikeout or a bomb, and more often than not, it's a strikeout. Look at Giancarlo Stanton, right? 22 Ks in his first 42 at bat. That's horrible. But he's got three bombs, so right. his OPS is you know right around that 800 range, where you know that's a pretty good, pretty good OPS despite the disaster. Um, but it's just not like I'm watching Otani, right? Otani's doing amazing things for the Angels, mostly because nobody does both. That's the reason. It's it's amazing, but right. the things he's doing is striking people out, which has been cheapened, and hitting bombs, which has been cheapened, cheapened. You know, I, I, I almost like a Billy Hamilton type who who could go out and maybe steal a hundred bases. That would almost be more interesting to me than somebody setting the world on fire with home runs or or strikeouts as a pitcher. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, baseball's been moving toward this sort of three outcome results for a right. long time. It's power pitchers trying to get strikeouts and power hitters trying to hit home runs or get on base from walks, sort of the whole you know, on base percentage thing that was a big part of the whole money ball uh, revolution in baseball. And yeah, when you only have three true outcomes, it's sort of the Adam Dunn, right. you know, <laughs> taken to the extreme situation here. Uh, it becomes boring for the rest of the stuff. That was, that was always something when I was a pitcher in little league, I'm like, I'm just going to throw strikes. And if they hit it in the field, like that's fine. Cause at least everybody else is involved. Right. Uh, what was that crash Davis line? Strikeouts are fascist. Yeah. Like nobody wants to yeah, see strikeouts. So yeah, I, I think that's problematic. Uh, I think as baseball evolves, if you know, people always it, it trends always reverse themselves eventually right. and eventually with all the shifts that you see in baseball now i think there's going to be greater uh stress put on guys who can hit through a shift and be like oh you're giving me the entire left side of the infield well i'll just go opposite field on it i'll tony Gwynn it the other way uh maybe you'll start to see a rise in hitters like that again and obviously they wouldn't shift people as dramatically like that if they weren't hitting into it but uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, well, it, I, I think eventually it'll go away from this, but right now this is sort of the way the game is played. The good news is some of the biggest stars in baseball are the types that don't do that. You know, it's the Altuves and the Francisco Lindors and, uh, you know, Mike Trout, even Mike Trout. I mean, he strikes out a lot, but he also does so much, so many other things well. Um, so, 
at least the, the, the players themselves, with the, with the exception probably of Judge and Stanton, um, who, you know, just strike out or hit home runs, and that's about it. It's like a beer league softball yeah. team there. The and the Orioles have been that way time. for several years where that's all they do is hit home runs. And it, honestly, it's it's not fun to watch. It's boring. It's really boring. Yeah, it, it, it kind of filters down to the minor leagues. I covered that Salem Red Sox game on uh, last Thursday. Yeah. And I think they struck out like 12 or 13 times. Like it was yeah. a ton of strikeouts. They had two guys that were candidates for the sombrero in the fifth inning. <laughs> it's like, man. A lot of strike, but I mean that's just the way the game is played right now. They absolutely, it's the launch angle revolution, and everybody's swinging high for the fences and everything. Uh, it's it's maybe not enjoyable to watch, but I, I guess it's just sort of the reality of the game. Yeah, the Salem Red Sox destroyed the Carolina yeah. League record for strikeouts last year, and and they were one of the best teams in the league. And so. it and it's not like it's frowned upon. No, like I, I think somebody saw had a stat that Giancarlo Stanton has already struck out more times than Joe DiMaggio did in an entire season. <laughs> he struck, Joe DiMaggio struck out like thirteen times in an entire season. It's yeah. like that's just not baseball anymore. Like that used to be, like it used to be shameful to strike out so many times. Now it's just it's like oh whatever. But he right. hits this many home runs. Like it's that's the trade off. Well, I'm going to continue to champion Altuve. I really like everything that he's about. He's awesome. How can you not? He's I like know. Mighty Mouse. Five, he's five, little, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a great guy to watch. Okay, let's close this thing out with a prediction on the spring game. Oh, First of all, man. I want to ask this question that I forgot to ask earlier. This 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 game actually punctuates the fifteen practices. There's, there's no nothing after this. right? Nothing after this okay. is the, this is the fifteenth practice. Okay, because I know sometimes they've had another practice or two because they wanted to work on some specific things afterwards. But uh, usually, this is the way it is. They end it with the spring game. Um. Offense or defense, Andy? I'm going to take offense because I, I think the scoring is set up better for the offense. I also look at the cornerbacks are going to be out on the defense, and I think they, they might have an easier time throwing against some of these guys that are in the lineup. So I like the offense to win it, although that's always a, a risky proposition when you're talking about Virginia Tech. Well, I feel like this is, a, uh, this is very similar to the discussion we have every time Virginia and Virginia Tech play. It's like, I'm not going to be burned again. Like, I always think, oh, defense is going to be ahead of the offense this time of year. It always is. Let's take defense. But then you realize <laughs> what you just said, the point scoring system is totally rigged. Oh, yeah. In yeah, favor of not... O. So, I think O is going to pull it out. Uh, you know, I don't have a line on the game. I'd love to set one and, and – Make some rubber band banks. Set one. Awful. Offense minus four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds... All right. Another question. Who will be – Who? Uh, two-part two question. Who is the person you're most interested in watching play? And number two is who do you think might surprise us or, or have a, a stand – and it might be the same person. Well, interested to see play is a tough one because a lot of the guys I'm interested to see are hurt. I really want to see Damon Hazleton. He's been out all spring. I really want to see Caleb Farley, what he can do on defense, especially after what he did last year on offense in the spring game. Uh, he's been out or limited all spring. Uh, so you don't have those two guys. I guess the curiosity kind of surrounds the quarterbacks again. I, mean, I want to see what Willis and Hendon Hooker can do in a scrimmage situation in a stadium like that because you sort of have an idea of what Josh Jackson can do. Uh, you know, Willis is somebody we've barely seen at all. Hooker had the big spring game last year. Redshirt, I want to see where he is compared to last year. So that's a boring answer to say the quarterbacks because they're going to be the focal point all the time anyway. But legitimately, those are the two that I'm I'm interested in seeing. Here's what I want to see: a little water bug running around, no number on his jersey. He's not on the roster. 
I don't know what's going on, but he's making plays everywhere. He's taking it to the house every time he catches a pass. Spitfire receiver. And, just, and everyone's like, who is this mystery man? And at the very end, he takes off his helmet. And over the loudspeaker, you hear the steel drums of, it's Khalil. He's back. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Ah, okay. Well, I'm interested in seeing Will- I hate to burst your bubble <laughs> on that one. In all honesty, I want to see Willis because you guys are saying he can sling it. I want to see him sling it. That Slinging it is the – Slinging it in spring games go hand in hand. I want to see slinging it in spring. Sling it, make it quick, make a nice easy story that can write on a featured player, and then get off to the Mexican restaurant to have some chips and cervezas. Exactly. All right. Well, we'll be back next week to break down what we saw. I hope you enjoy the weather and the game if you make it out there. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We will see you next time.